If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So we're here to do an after-action review, and this is uh, the first of what we are imagining to be a two-part series. So we're not going to be super strict about this, but we do want to use kind of the the structure, the idea behind uh, an after-action review. And so, Jeff, do you want to talk about what that is and involves? I will, and I'll talk about the action first, because what we are actually looking at is the the Leading Learning Symposium, which was just a little over a week ago. Um, We held that in in Baltimore. It was an inaugural event for us. It was a learning event, and in the aftermath, we ourselves want to learn what we can for going forward and hopefully be able to make that a better and better event over time. So we're going to do what's called an after action review. This is something made famous by the Army. Uh, they do a lot of this type of thing. David Garvin, who's a learning theorist, has written quite a bit about it. And it's, it's basically framed around four questions. Uh, what did we set out to do? What actually happened? Why is there a difference between the first two, if there is? And what should we continue uh, doing going forward? And what should we change? And we may not adhere strictly to those questions as we go through, but we wanted to provide that as just kind of a, a basic framework for looking at the event overall and then looking at parts of the event. Because we know how important uh, the right questions are to uh, the learning experience. The right questions and being sure to reflect after any learning experience. And so we're going to maybe loosely reference some of the evaluations, but again, we're just a little over a week after the event. We're still collecting those. We still need to um, dig into those a little bit more. We also um, have not yet uh, debriefed with the the faculty, which we want to do that. We want to debrief with Seth Kahn and Lisa Bing and Wes Tokel, who are the other um, faculty members uh, involved. But I, I think one place to start here in terms of, you know, what did we set out to do? I think one thing we want to make sure is, is emphasized is that we really see the Leading Learning Symposium as part of a, a process. I mean, we are focusing this after action review on an event, but we really don't see this as a, a one and done event. We really um, want Leading Learning to be part of an ongoing discussion and ongoing community. Yeah, and I think that's really important because obviously, I mean, we set out to to hold an event. Uh, I mean, this is a big part of our strategy going forward. We want to be holding regular events where we bring people together, and and we did that. And and I think overall, it it came off very well. I mean, we got very good feedback. Uh, We were both there and intensely involved in it, and it seemed to be a a very uh, beneficial and productive experience for the vast majority of the people involved. But, you know, at the same time, we knew this is part of establishing a community of people. One of the reasons we wanted to hold the event in the first place is we felt that there weren't enough opportunities for people who were leaders in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development to to be able to come together, and and not just in a single event, but over time as part of a community and as part of a process uh, of learning. So, you know, this was uh, not even the initial foray, but it's one of our biggest forays, you know, so far into doing that, to establishing the event, but also to really, you know, moving this process forward, really solidifying a, a community. 
And so as we mentioned, you know, we've been getting some evaluations and been looking at those and um, since we're still collecting those, won't say too much there, but I, you know, one thing that's jumped out at us in looking at those is that um, there's pretty clearly a split, you know, for everyone who wants um, more breaks, you know, an equal number of people are saying, no, we can do with fewer breaks and, and just put more content in there. And for people who want um, more of the the brief uh, content pods, uh, others, you know, wanted fewer of those. And there were people who loved the hot seats and then people who said, you know, I don't really see the, the value of the hot seat if I'm not, you know, directly participating. So definitely a, a split there. And, you know, I think that's one thing that's jumped out in what we've seen so far in the evaluations. And I, you know, I think that goes back to, you know, looking at this as a community and looking at it as a, as a process. I mean, I think there's a lot of diversity in this community. Uh, there are people who I think showed up at this, uh, you know, really wanting something different, really wanting to engage, who already were viewing this as, as part of an ongoing process. Um, and I think there are people who showed up probably a, a little more wed to traditional ways uh, of doing things. And, and that comes through. I think, you know, in terms of uh, what we potentially do differently going forward, I mean, again, you know, we, we set out to hold an event. I think we I think we pulled that off very well, but we were really setting out to define this as a process and define it as a community. And I think we probably need to be more intentional about that going forward. We need to communicate and, and articulate that better. Um, we want people who are signing up for next year's Leading Learning Symposium to know that they're not just signing up for the symposium. Yes, we want them to show up at that. We want them to be at the event and fully engage, but we really want them to become part of this community and we want them to become part of an ongoing process that includes what we do before the event and includes what we do at the event and includes what we do after the event and you know on and on for the years to come. And I think the, the more we're able to elevate that, uh, position that, articulate that, the better this will be over time. And I, I think we did okay at that for the first time out, but we can do a lot better at that going forward. Well, and I think as part of that, we acknowledge that the Leading Learning Symposium, the Leading Learning Community in general is not for everyone. And I think part of that and what you're saying as we are more clear with our messaging going forward, I mean, it's not going to be for everybody. And some people are going to sort of self-select out and that's okay. You know, I, I think both you and I know that we can't be all things to all people. Yes, we are, de- we are definitely going to try to avoid falling into that trap. And I think we already know, too, that um, one of the items that is going to probably uh, separate out that uh, <laughs> or make, the- make that separation over time is the, the pre-event uh, type content that we're providing. And-, and maybe we can look at that as the first. We've just talked about the event overall and, and you know, try to give some perspective on that. Obviously, we're going to continue looking at that and thinking about it. But then, you know, we'd like to walk through specific parts of the event event as we engineered it, as we designed it, and, and ask those questions about each of those parts too. And if you're, if you're listening, you may not be in a position to, to do it right now, um, but if you are, uh, grabbing the program for the event would probably be a, a great thing to do. And, and you can get that very easily just by going to leadinglearning.com forward slash program. If you can't get it right now, you know, listen in, go back to it later as a point of reference, but that'll lay out all of the different components that we're not going to be talking about as we continue through this review of, of the Leading Learning Symposium. And the first of those is going to be the, the pre-event uh, content that, that we put out there. That's right. And so we had, you know, a variety of, of blog posts, and but I think the, the main uh, area of pre-event content were the emphatically recommended readings. 
And we know that um, we got a, a fair amount of feedback around those that a lot of people were worried about not being able to complete them or, you know, worried that if they didn't complete them, would the symposium itself, you know, be, be of value to them. And, uh, you know, our, our sense is when we tried to let people know this, that, you know, these were labeled emphatically recommended readings because, you know, we didn't feel like we could truly require them. Um, we're all adults here and you know your uh, the demands on your time and um, and energy better than we do, but we wanted to emphatically recommend them and that, you know, we believed um, and believe that the symposium, you know, was um, that much more valuable for people who were able to review them in advance, but certainly uh, they were not required. That the symposium would make you know complete sense, even if you hadn't had a chance to to read those. Absolutely, but at the same time, I mean, there was there was a method to our madness here. I mean, we were we were doing this for good reason. And one of the things we did in, in the lead up to the um, symposium that I that I think we did well, but the, you know, again, we can certainly do better going forward. Is to explain why we did uh, the, the things that we did, and with the pre-event content the readings and the other things that we provided you know one of the issues we we're trying to address is that whenever you show up in a, at an event I mean people are typically coming from the same field or industry so they do have some shared experience but in terms of the prior knowledge that they're bringing uh, to the event often that's very fragmented and, and disconnected so the readings and some of the other things we did were you know simply to try to establish a, a little bit more of a, a baseline of shared knowledge uh, around some of the key concepts that went with the event event. Um, but again, I mean, as, as you were saying, these were recommended. Uh, they were not required. Um, so if you showed up at the event without having done them, um, it, it was in no way going to diminish your experience. It would possibly enhance your experience if you had done them. But that, you know, that was something I think we could have communicated better around that. We tried to, you know, emphatically communicate around it, uh, um, but did not probably succeed as, as well as we could around that. But I think that also goes back to the first point we made around, you know, really being able to position and communicate this as a process, you know, because the way we view it is, you know, if you could if you could dip into those readings and the other materials a, a little bit before the event, great, you know, that would help to en enhance the event. But, you know, we would also want to make it clear that, you know, just because the event is over doesn't mean, you know, you should never read Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, which we recommended. And we actually just recommended the article, not, not the full book. Um, but, you know, th those readings are still there. The materials we put out before the conference are, are still there, and they should still be engaged in, even if you engaged in them before the conference. I mean, these are things that personally, you know, I read and revisit over and over and over again, and I will again before next year's symposium. And there's a good chance that maybe we'll just keep these as the, as the same you know readings for next year uh, with the hope that over time we have a body of people who have actually you know engaged with all of the readings and, and all of the content and we start to build up that baseline of knowledge that, that we were talking about two points I mean one is is that um, this gets back to the idea of you know this is not an event this is a, a process and so that idea of you know you have not lost the opportunity around those emphatically recommended readings if you haven't yet read them and then the other is you know to pick up on you know one of the concepts from one of the emphatically recommended readings you know make it stick to your point Jeff that this is spaced learning I mean if mm. you're gonna come back to these um, texts again and again and, and you're gonna um, by revisiting and that's gonna help uh, actually make sure that you are learning these and you know and you're gonna bring a slightly different perspective and experience to it each time you you revisit it yeah and so I think if we return to the you know the after action review framework you know with this pre-event content I mean we set out to try to 
raise or at least level out the, the prior knowledge that attendees were bringing to the event. Um, you know, as far as what actually happened, about what we expected. I mean, we knew this was going to be an uphill battle. Um, some people engaged with it uh, much more than others. Some didn't engage with it at all. So, and you know, did we really re- raise the base before this event? Probably not. Um, if we look at it as a process over time and, you know, we kind of stick with this and then keep doing it and develop that as a culture, could we raise it over time? I, I think so. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to take continued communication, um, uh, continued uh, just trying to, to be clear uh, about what this is for, um, that it's not something to be you know, stressed about. It's just something that's there as, as a resource and, and to engage with over time. Yes, I think we both feel pretty committed to continuing emphatically recommended readings. And I think one thing we want to do is try to really um, uh, explain why these are mm-hmm. emphatically recommended readings. Really emphasize that because, you know, if you're a, 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 le- a leader in the, the business of lifelong learning, I mean, clearly you're reading. I mean, so it's all about us. We sort hope of, so. Yes. We, yeah, <laughs> seems seems uh, hard to imagine that you wouldn't be reading. So I think it's about us making uh, as strong a case as possible for why these should be uh, priorities in your time and energy. That's true, because it all comes down to priorities. Everybody has time to read something uh, if you if you make it a priority. So we need to do a better job of, of positioning that going forward. So if we look at uh, how we kicked off day one of the symposium itself, we started with a priming activity. So what we started out to do there was uh, we didn't want to just be talking about social learning or active learning. We wanted to actually be doing social learning and doing active learning. And we also wanted to make sure that we were... uh, creating a sense of community from from that first session so that's that's what we set out to do so what actually happened jeff you know i think with that we succeeded and when i say we i have to we have to give the the nod to to seth khan on that because uh seth is the mastermind behind the the jumpstart storytelling method that we use there which basically had people you know going through these rapid rounds uh, of, of telling stories about really meaningful learning experiences that that they've had in the past. And these didn't have to be, you know, directly related to, to business and professional life. They could be really about anything. Um, and we did, you know, a couple of rounds of, of that. Um, so people sharing those stories at tables together, you know, and then um, Seth had this process of uh, kind of filtering, filtering the best story uh, out, of the, uh, out of the participants. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say the best story, but it was the story that had resonated with the listeners the most. And of course, the whole room hadn't gotten to hear everyone else's stories. But still, out of those two rounds, um, you know, we got to uh, focus in on the one story that had sort of impacted the greatest number of listeners so far. And I do think that that was interesting for me. That was uh, Ralph Gaillard from uh, uh, CPA Society. From the Illinois CPAs, yeah. And so, you know, I think the interesting thing there was that he had not, um, it wasn't about uh, his current, you mm-hmm. know, role or his, you know, CPA, uh, you know, society life. It was from, I believe, high school, but it was an, an encounter with a, a poem in high school English, if I'm remembering correctly. That's right. And, you know, obviously had a great impact uh, on him um, at a, you know, emotional, spiritual sort of level. And it was clear that it had an impact, too, on uh, the, the folks in, in the room as he was telling it, because Ralph came up and, you know, and shared that story with everybody after he had sort of been picked out as the uh, the person who had the most impact. And I, I mean, I, you know, I know it hit me. 
Um, and I think you know, that was great because I thought it was nice that it was a story that wasn't necessarily about a professional or business setting. I mean, it would have been fine if it, if it was, um, but I think that really helped to to break down some barriers. I mean, we, we really got people talking uh, with each other. I, I know this made some people uncomfortable, um, which is fine. You know, I, I think in, 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 there were some uncomfortable times in the symposium in, in general for people starting off with this one. Um, but, you know, we made the point early on and we made it as part of the pre-event content too, that, you know, often being uncomfortable, um, having to make efforts in, in ways that uh, you may not want to uh, is often what leads to the best learning. And, um, you know, I, I think this succeeded. It's, it's one of the things we'll have to think about going forward uh, with respect to scale, you know, as this event gets bigger, um, this actually involved a lot of moving around, people putting hands on each other's shoulders. That's one of the things that really made some people uncomfortable, I think. But, uh, you know, whether this uh, scales or not, we'll have to see. I mean, Seth has done it with up to a thousand people before, so it, it, it could scale. We may decide there's a better way to go about this, but I think that, you know, that opening of really trying to get people to connect on that, on a really human uh, level more than anything else to help really facilitate the conversation from that point forward and I, I feel like that I feel like it worked uh, very well and I think that it gives people a way to connect with the other attendees in a, in a meaningful way I mean you know sometimes when you just exchange name and title and organization um, it, it's hard for me sometimes to keep that in my mind but if I can remember you know what oh Ralph was the one who you know that Edgar Allan Poe poem really impacted suddenly then I'm beginning to you know you know, see him as not just a, a name on you know an attendee roster I have that that piece of of information that really kind of brings Ralph alive as a as a person yeah definitely definitely and it was so fitting that it was Edgar Allan Poe too since he has the uh, the, the Baltimore um, connection as well so you know all, all in all um, I think that that, that priming activity um felt like a real success to me and we got a lot of positive comments about it along with you know a number of people who did say that that made them uncomfortable but again you know we think that's fine um, and, and should happen in a learning event so we've talked about um, you know kind of the the event uh, overall and our perspective on it we've talked about the the, the pre-event work that um, that we attempted to do and you know we're probably moderately successful um, with that certainly have a, a ways to go to, to figure that out talked about the priming activity where we feel like you know that that really was a, a strong point um, at least from our perspective and then you know after we did the priming activity we we brought back people back together into our first uh, what we just called a community assembly and we were very careful about the language that we used in, in everything we did uh, around the event you know so priming activity that was very intentional you know emphatically recommended as opposed to required readings that was very intentional and community assembly just you know to signal that we are coming together as a community here that was very uh, intentional as well and we just wanted to kind of you know I guess set the stage and, and set the the tone following on from that priming activity here that's right so Jeff you and I each offered some comments about kind of the the general lay of the land for for lifelong learning at, at this point and for what we were hoping to achieve with the symposium and that felt like important information you know around kind of again the community assembly piece kind of drawing us all together to make sure that we sort of all have this kind of shared understanding of uh, the general environment and then this uh, the symposium the specific event kind of within that larger context yeah and I thought this was interesting I mean with this type of thing 
I know I will always strive. Um, I, I did this time, and, I, and I'll strive going forward to be as brief as possible with this kind of thing, because I really don't want to get up there and and, and give a speech um, in this type of event. But one thing that was interesting for me is, you know, we'd obviously spent all this time designing this, planning it, have the run, having the run up to it, thinking through all the themes and connections, having a, a lot of interaction with the people who were coming. So. I think we really did have a kind of a unique perspective by that point, um, but it didn't start to really crystallize for me until I was sitting down, you know, the, the week or so before the symposium saying, okay, what, what am I going to say in this, you know, 10 minutes or so when I get up there? And uh, it was interesting because what I ended up talking about was this sort of um, uh, balance between, you know, the, the human and the machine and how that's kind of playing out in the world of learning. And I had, I had no expectation whatsoever of that sort of being where I would evolve to and, and thinking about, um, you know, this, this business of lifelong learning and, and this, this community that we're bringing together. Um, so for me personally, that was, you know, a, a strong learning experience. And then I, I hope that helped to, you know, provoke um, some some thinking and I, and I know it did with at least some people just based on, on conversations to, to help set the stage for you know the, the the day and a half that was ahead of that yeah I think that human theme that that began to emerge already you know that early on day one it was really striking for me and then the related to that was how much uh, poetry had cropped up in in the symposium by yeah. that point um, I had shared a, a story about um, being a poet and, and going to a, a writer's conference as part of the Jumpstart storytelling. Um, and then Ralph, uh, his Jumpstart story uh, had poetry in it. And then um, I decided to recite a poem as part of that uh, community assembly, a poem by John Chiardi called In Place of a Curse, because I thought um, it, it both showed me kind of my willingness to, to bring my full self to the symposium. And then also, I think the message in that poem around, you know, let's not be meek. Let's be willing to sort of, uh, you know, get beat up if necessary, and you know, but be engaged in, in life and learning. I, I thought that message worked well, but uh, you know, I think that already by that point, this this idea of human, and for me, you know, poetry is very human. It's it's not the kind of thing that you know we're going to have the machines writing for us. Um, I, I think that is decidedly human. So already at that point, it was really interesting to see this this theme emerging. Yeah, and you know. We wanted to try to, to set the tone in, in our words, um, which, you know, that, that's obviously difficult for us to, to judge um, exactly how well we, we did. But based on the feedback, that, that seemed to go well. But we also didn't want it to be just about us standing up on stage. We really wanted to incorporate uh, the community into this community assembly. So one of the things we tried out during that uh, opening community assembly was a hot seat. Uh, so in this case, um, Amanda Beckner, uh, who's the, the vice president of, of learning at Infocom, uh, she had an, an issue that um, she wanted some help wrestling with. So she was willing to come up and kind of, you know, state what she was wrestling with. And then we did some some table work and, and some some rapid feedback to, to help her out. And, um, you know, I, I thought that was a, an incredibly interesting process. Um, we knew doing that that, you know, You've got such a diverse range of organizations in the room that, you know, whoever comes up and does a hot seat is going to connect more with some people in the room than the others, whatever their situation is. We try to emphasize that this is, you know, not so much about content as it was about process and really engaging in the kind of thinking and questioning that's going to lead to results that are going to be helpful. And I think, you know, certainly for a lot of people that worked, that had a significant impact. We got good feedback on it. Um, you know, for others, maybe not quite as much. But um, I, I think, you know, that's something we're going to try to figure out 
how to do as well as possible and, and hopefully you know do more of uh, over time at, at the symposium. And I think to your point about it being less about content and more about process, I think one thing we may be able to help uh, attendees do in the future is, you know, is tell them to, you know, focus in on on the process. So, you know, in Amanda's case where she's asking about, you know, translation and localization of of training in, you know, four different uh, countries, you know, that may not speak directly to something you're wrestling with at your association, but still the questions uh, around, okay, how do I um, solve this this sort of logistical issue? How do I get my team behind doing it? Those are questions that can apply to a broad range of circumstances, not just, okay, I'm trying to get training content translated into four languages. Right. Yeah. How do I deal with partners? I mean, in her case, there was uh, an issue around, you know, how do I lead a, a team effectively around this to get people to embrace something that's new and different? That new and different doesn't have to have anything to do with international. That new and different can be something that's happening, you know, in your in your state society. Uh, so, I, you know, I think there was a lot there that um, really applies to any organization. But again, I think, you know, thematically in terms of how we position uh, and communicate going forward to really have that conversation around you know, let's let's focus on process more than content. That's really how we're you know all going to be as helpful as possible to each other. But um, you know, I've, I know in our own professional development, we, we found um, hot seats to be very productive. Uh, there was there's limited time ultimately in the way the uh, the symposium was designed, and I think that's something we need to look at going forward. Is you know how can we incorporate more of that type of thing into uh, into what we do there. So we've talked a little bit about the symposium overall. Uh, we've talked about uh, the pre-event content. We've talked about the priming activity and the community assembly. So I think the last thing we'd like to talk about today are the content pods. Yeah, and so the, the content pods, you know, I remember when we were putting together uh, the event originally and trying to think through how we wanted to design things. We knew we didn't want to have the traditional just, you know, long list of breakout sessions where you go for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes um, and, and, and basically get uh, lectured at. Um, but at the same time, you know, we do believe that there there is value in somebody with some expertise or some experience being able to convey briefly and concisely uh, some knowledge that they have, uh, be able to relate an experience that might be useful to others. But we wanted to c- compact that down um, and get that into, you know, chunks that were, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And I think we ended up more in probably about the 15 to 18 minute range on, on, on average with the content pods that, um, that we put together. But we wanted to have, you know, just a series of uh, hopefully very focused, very concise, very high impact uh, content sessions on topics that attendees had told us were important to them. And, and we did do a lot of, you know, initial conversations and surveying to narrow down what are those topics that people care the most about. Um, and then, you know, lined up these series of, of four content pods, uh, one after the other on um, each of the days. And again, each of those were around 15 to, to 20 minutes. And I, you know, I think on, on average, um, I thought the content pods themselves uh, were, were high quality. I think people you know, delivered very good content. They, they were um, concise. I mean, one of our ideas, though, was that, um, you know, we wanted these to be about different topics and, and, and figure out ways to, to, you know, connect together um, different threads of the, the conference. And we had as threads, you know, strategy, technology, uh, uh, learning, and marketing, um, and the view that, you know, those need to be interwoven. Those need to be interleaving because you never, 
encounter those things in the abstract. You always encounter them uh, together, um, basically. And so that was one of the motivating ideas behind, you know, putting these compact pieces of content uh, together in these sessions on, on each day. And I'd say maybe mixed results on, on, on how that interleaving turned out. Well, and as part of that, we wanted we decided to have a collective uh, question and answer time after all four of the content pods were presented. And we were hoping that in part that would um, suggest to learners that, okay, you know, I don't have to just ask a, a question about what Seth presented in his content pod or about what Wes presented in his uh, content pod. You know, oh, I can maybe ask a question or make a comment on how I see what Seth said about innovation and what Wes said about, uh, you know, data, how those fit together. And, and so we wanted to encourage the interleaving that way. I think that, you know, maybe again, it would have uh, behooved us to say some of that, uh, you know, out loud rather than just, you know, having thought it ourselves. Um, and I think, too, we could also have the, the individuals presenting the content pods, um, you know, rather than saying this is, you know, purely Q&A from the audience, maybe say, too, we really want it to be a conversation among, you know, the the people presenting. And so part of what, you know, I would do if I'm presenting a content pod is not only present my content pod, but I would also be kind of um, um, showing as an example, you know, making some of those connections. So I might have a, a question or a comment that really does pick up both on something that uh, Seth said and something that you said, Jeff. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think we did, you know, try again. This is, it was in some of the pre-event um, uh, communication to to say that that's what we were doing. But uh, as you were saying, being a little bit more explicit about it in the moment, um, helping to facilitate those connections. And then, you know, there was the connection among the content pods. Uh, there was also the connection from the con- content pods into the, you know the rest of the the event and, and particularly the afternoon application labs. I know I at least tried to pull uh, what I knew I was doing in my content pods into my afternoon application lab, and I tried where possible to pull from other uh, faculty members' presentations and doing that. But that's that's probably a process that we could facilitate even more than we did. And we did spend a lot of time with faculty ahead of time, so this this these are things that the faculty were aware of. Um, but for us, you know, in, in terms of planning for next year, I think even more awareness, even more time working around that concept to, again, get this uh, idea of, of interleaving, which, you know, draws from the, the work and make it stick, which was, you know, very influential on our design uh, of this conference in general, but really highlighting that interleaving and, and trying to make it function even better going forward. And I think, you know, just to wrap up this time, that that idea of um, interleaving, I think, also fits in with the idea of just, you know, integration. And one item we might be able to talk about as as we close off this session, and and the next session we'll talk about the application labs we did and the synthesis sessions and and, and some of the other parts of the the program. But we made a a couple of decisions around this conference that I think are important. One is that in in terms of sponsors and vendors – um, you know, we didn't want this to be the you know big exhibit hall. Let's sign up as many sponsors as we can, sort of event. We wanted a, a limited number of sponsors, and we wanted to actually involve those people in the event in a meaningful way from a learning perspective. So have them actually 
participating as true participants in the event, um, have them actually delivering content uh, with the idea that this was going to not be, you know, in any way promotional content, but actually meaningful content uh, that was contributing to the overall experience. And, you know, we specifically were getting the top people from the vendors to come. So these were the CEOs, you know, or the senior people uh, from the vendors who were coming and, 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 and sitting at the tables and participating. And, and those sponsors, you know, were Digital Ignite, which is now part of your membership, YM Learning, uh, Higher Logic, uh, and then Classroom 24-7. And, um, and, and I think, you know, it, all, all in all, being able to integrate the vendors in that way, uh, I think worked out pretty well. I think it fit, too, with the idea of, you know, we're building a community here and to sort of have a community and then have, you know, these the vendors, these others that are sort of, you know, roped off and, and not allowed in. I, th- I think that sort of goes against the grain of what we were trying to create. And, and I'll say, too, from my experience that, the you know, the these senior level folks that we had from all three of those organizations are really smart. I mean, you know, they have a lot of uh, knowledge and uh, experience working with associations, working with people in the business of lifelong learning. And so, you know, if you sit down and talk with Tamer Ali of YM Learning, you're going to hear something valuable. Same thing with Ernie Liang of Classroom 24-7, Andy Steggles of Higher Logic. I mean, he he has his experience at Higher Logic. He also has his experience as a as working in associations prior to, to starting Higher Logic. So all of them really did have um, valuable perspectives and, and information to share, and I think they did that. They brought that to the symposium. Yeah, and then I mean, the other thing that we tried to do was to to really uh, meaningfully reduce the separation between uh, faculty and uh, attendees, um, with the idea that you know we. We didn't want the faculties to be delivering content so much as facilitating uh, conversations and being involved in those conversations themselves. And we really wanted the attendees themselves to be helping to deliver content where that made sense and to be helping with the facilitation. And I think certainly, you know, this is this is a work in progress. I mean, I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to have to get better and better at this uh, over time. I mean, I think there was still a little more, you know, sort of the faculty or presenter uh, type of atmosphere than, than, than I would have liked. Um, but the reality was, you know, the, the, the faculty were the ones who actually were willing to step up and present content for the most part. We did actually, you know, uh, try to get attendees to deliver content pods. And um, Pat Mangan from NRECA uh, was somebody who did step up and volunteer to do that. He, he was the only one who volunteered to do that. So he did deliver a, a content pod. And I, and I have to say there, we did get some comments, you know, it would have been nice to hear from organizations other than NRECA, but, you know, to their credit, um, you know, they stepped up. They wanted to deliver a content pod. Um, they wanted to do a hot seat. Um, they were actually uh, doing some things that were very meaningful to what we were doing in, in one of the app labs. And I hope we get more of that going forward, this idea of, you know, really integrating um, attendees into the delivery and facilita- facilitation of the experience and sort of blurring that line between the traditional faculty presenter role and the and the particip- participant attendee role much more um, than typically tends to be the case. And again, for me, that gets back to this idea of community that, you know, I don't think you or I are imagining a, a very strictly hierarchical sort of community mm-hmm. here. I think this is uh, what we're looking for with the leading learning community is the fact that we are all uh, engaged around um, lifelong learning and we all have uh rich experiences uh, to share with one another and so it's kind of how do we help uncover those and get people to step up like Pat and, and share them. 
Right, right. So, you know, circling back to the beginning of this, you know, when we when we looked at the event overall and kind of our, you know, our after action review, what do we set out to do? What actually happened? You know, what would we change going forward? You know, again, event wise, we definitely pulled off an event and, and feel like it was a, a, a strong event. I mean, we're getting very good uh, reviews on it at this point, but we really want to focus more going forward on um, uh, communicating this as, as a process. The event is just one part of the process. Um, the event is just, you know, one part of the, the community and that idea uh, of community. So really making sure, I think probably more than anything else that um, that we're able to focus on on that going forward. And then, you know, for all of the specific parts of the agenda that we talked about here, um, or, you know, the, the pre-event content, the, the primary activity, the content pods, the assembly, you know, obviously those are all things that um, we can continue to get uh, better at um, based on our own perspective and, and, and the, the feedback we've gotten. So, We'll wrap up this uh, session just ha having talked about those things, but the next time around we're going to talk about, let's see, we got the app labs, uh, the application labs to talk about. We've got the synthesis sessions to talk about. We think we've also got, you know, I think lunch and breaks. I think we should talk about that because, again, it's about sort of the pacing and the white space as well. Right. And, and then the idea of bringing in the, the outside speaker, um, uh, who is Rohit Bargava in this case, and, and how that works. So still plenty to, to cover. Um, and the, the next episode of our action, after action review on the, the Leading Learning Symposium. In the meantime, I think uh, we won't do our sort of standard uh, exit here, but we will say, um, you know, if you're enjoying the Leading Learning podcast, uh, we'd you know really appreciate it if you would uh, consider subscribing to it. You can do that very easily by going to leadinglearning.com/itunes. Um, we'd appreciate it if you're you know if you do subscribe, if you will uh, give us a rating on iTunes as well, and if in general you will share the Leading Learning podcast with others if you are finding it valuable. So thank you for listening, and until next time on the Leading Learning podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah.